Grace Fellowship Church. It is a joy to be here. As Jeff said, my name is Gene. I'm one of the leaders here. And whether you've been coming here for a while, you're new, or somewhere in between, we're so excited that you're here to worship God with us. Welcome. As a church body, we've been going through the book of Job and considering what God would teach us from this Old Testament book. I'm here today to tell you that no one knows what God is up to. Going through Job, we've been talking a lot about suffering. She graciously gave me permission to share this. One of our members, Bonnie Drips, as she was just sharing, suffers from a cancer called Waldenstrom's, for which she must go to phoresis treatments regularly where she has blood taken out of her body, filtered, and then put back in. She has to do this every six weeks, and it is not something that Bonnie and Bill enjoy. It's a type of suffering that they are going through right now. So you can imagine that if a new drug were to come along, that means that they don't have to do phoresis anymore. All it took was... Take a couple pills a day, and that's your new treatment. That would be really hopeful for Bill and Bonnie, right? This turned out to be true, this, this new drug, and it brought great hope to Bill and Bonnie. What's more, it was covered by their insurance. They didn't have to pay a dime. But after a few days of taking this new drug, it turned out not to be so hopeful. The drug ended up causing Bonnie to have some severe side effects. And her doctor said, you can't take this anymore. Something that seemed to have so much hope fell through for Bonnie. In a situation where Bonnie was already suffering, it was made worse. What is God up to? What is he doing with Bonnie? I don't know. And my guess is you don't know either. What can we as members of Bonnie's church body say to her to comfort her in suffering? What can we say to others in the church who are are suffering? Today we are going to look at an instance very similar to this in the book of Job. We're going to see one of his friends claim to know what God is up to. If you haven't already, please open up to Job 11. It's on page 271 if you have a church Bible. So far, like I've said, we've seen Job allow suffering to enter Job's life. Job's lost his property, his children, and his health. And now Job's three friends are speaking into his life, offering interpretation for what's going on. In the box at the top of your outline, you can see where we are in the progression of Job. We're at the end of the first speech cycle. The pattern is one of Job's friends speaks, then Job speaks. One of Job's friends speaks, Job speaks. Last week, Jeff talked about Bildad and his advice to Job. Bildad said, bad things happen to bad people. And then Job wrestled with God's justice. 
Today we are going to read what the third friend has to say, Zophar. My plan is to cover three points. Surprise, surprise. Application, and then a look to Jesus. To prep you, we're going to be doing a lot of work in the text first, and then we're going to go to application. In what Zophar has to say, we are going to consider a hypocritical rebuke, a showy claim, and an easy fix. But first, out of reverence for Christ and honor for his word, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege of knowing you and telling others about you. God, would you bless our time in your word tremendously this morning. Teach us by your spirit. Teach us that your ways are higher than our ways and your thoughts higher than our thoughts. Your ways are inscrutable, Lord. We, we don't know what you're doing all the time. God, would you encourage us in this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, first, a hypocritical rebuke. Let's read the first six verses of chapter 11. Zophar says, Then Zophar the Naamathite answered and said, Should a multitude of words go unanswered, and a man full of talk be judged right? Should your babble silence men, and when you mock, shall no one shame you? For you say, My doctrine is pure, and I am clean in God's eyes. But oh, that God would speak to you and open his lips to you, and that he would tell you the secrets of wisdom, for he is manifold in understanding. Know then that God exacts of you less than your guilt deserves. What's happening in these verses? Zophar looks at Job's suffering and begins to try to speak into what's going on. He starts off by hitting Job with some pretty loaded questions. Should your multitude of words go unanswered? Should a man full of talk be judged right? Should your babble silence men? Zophar is belittling Job, opening up here with a rebuke. Job, your words are many. You babble. Shall no one shame you? Zophar also implies that Job's words are wrong. Verse 4. For you say, My doctrine is pure, and I am clean in God's eyes. But oh, that God would speak and open his lips to you, and that he would tell you the secrets of wisdom. Job claims pure doctrine. He claims to be clean in God's eyes. Zophar doesn't think so. Zophar thinks that if God were to reveal what he really thinks of Job, Job would be surprised. He's saying, Job, you think God sees you as clean, but he doesn't. Zophar follows that up with another bold claim. Verse 6, know then that God exacts of you less than your guilt deserves. He's saying, yeah, Job, you're suffering. You lost your property, you lost your children, your health. But you know what? God's going easy on you. He's treating you better than your guilt deserves. 
What a comforting thing to say to someone in suffering. The whole time there is this stinging hypocrisy in Zophar's voice. In that sense, he's saying, Job, you can't see the bigger picture. You don't know God's wisdom. But I do. Zophar is claiming to know the very secrets of the wisdom of God. Job, your words are many and they are wrong. Oh, that God would speak to you and put you in your place. You think you're clean? Well, you're not. God's going easy on you. We might give more credence to what Zophar is saying if we didn't know what God thinks of Job. Right? God told us in chapter 2 what he thinks of Job. He says, Job is a blameless and upright man. None like him on the earth. Job fears God and turns away from evil. Zophar is making a claim that's different from what God has already said. Zophar offers this hypocritical rebuke. And it's hypocritical because Zophar is saying, Job can't understand something that he understands. No one knows what God is up to. Not even Zophar. Next we'll see him go from a, a hypocritical rebuke to a showy claim. Let's look at section 2. Starting at verse 7. Job, can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? It is higher than the heaven. Than heaven. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol, what can you know? Its measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. If he passes through and imprisons and summons the court, who can turn him back? For he knows worthless men. When he sees iniquity, will he not consider it? But a stupid man will get understanding when a wild donkey's colt is born a man. Here, Zophar offers what sounds like a wondrous expression of God's praise and his, his depth and his unsearchable limit. He speaks of the deep things of God, the limit of the Almighty being higher than heaven, deeper than Sheol, longer than the earth, broader than the sea. He's offering this wondrous expression of praise but it turns out to be a showy claim. Zophar continues. He says, If God imprisons and summons the court, who can stop him? He knows worthless men. When he sees iniquity, will he not consider it? What is Zophar doing? He moves from talking about God's majesty to court. Worthless men and iniquity. Here's Zophar's showy claim. Job, you're the worthless man and God is considering your iniquity. He's implying Job sinned and God sees it. When he sees your iniquity, Job, will he not consider it? Job, God has called you to judgment in the courtroom for your iniquity. And he's imprisoning you in your suffering because of it. 
That's what Zophar is saying to Job. Not only does Zophar imply that Job is a worthless, unclean man, but in an underhanded way, he calls him a donkey. Look at verse 12. But a stupid man will get understanding when a wild donkey's colt is born a man. Job, a random proverb here in the middle of what he's saying. He's calling Job a donkey. A donkey and a stupid man. Can you feel the arrogance and the the condescension in Zophar's voice? What would be a wondrous expression of praise to the Lord turns out to be a showy claim from an arrogant man. Zophar is again overstepping his bounds and claiming to know what he does not know with a certainty that he should not express. No one knows what God is up to. Not even those who offer you showy claims. So a showy claim we've seen from Zophar. Let's see what he says next. He offers Job an easy fix. Section 3. Beginning at 13. Job, if you prepare your heart, you will stretch out your hands toward him. If iniquity is in your hand, put it far away, and let not injustice dwell in your tents. Surely then you will lift up your face without blemish. You will be secure and will not fear. You will forget your misery, and you will remember it as waters that have passed away. And your life will be brighter than the noonday. Its darkness will be like the morning. And you will feel secure because there is hope. You will look around and take your rest in security. You will lie down and none will make you afraid. Many will court your favor. But the eyes of the wicked will fail. All way of escape will be lost to them. And their hope is to breathe their last. If you prepare your heart, stretch out your hands toward him. If iniquity is in your hand, put it far away. Let not injustice dwell in your tents. What is Zophar doing? He's calling Job to repentance. When Zophar says, if iniquity is in your hands, he implies that it is. Zophar is again claiming Job must have sinned for the suffering that he's getting. And Zophar promises great things to Job if he repents. Verses 15 through 20. Job, you will have a face without blemish. Security, no fear. You will forget your misery. Your life will be bright. You will feel secure because there is hope. You will rest in security. Nothing will make you afraid when you lie down. Others will court your favor. Job, all this wonderful stuff will happen to you. All you have to do is repent. This sounds like something you would read in the Psalms. Put injustice away from you and you will dwell in security. There has to be some truth to what Zophar is saying. Yet, we know that at the end of Job, 
the Lord rebukes Zophar and the two other friends because they do not speak accurately of the Lord. Job 42.7, the Lord says, My anger burns against you, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So, even if there is partial truth to what Zophar is saying, it's not the whole truth. Where might Zophar be wrong? Might there be an issue with calling Job to repentance? Again, consider what God thinks of Job. He says he's blameless and upright. None like him on the earth. Job, you fear God and you turn away from evil. Why would you call a blameless man to repentance? Is God punishing Job for his sin? No. The main reason for Job's suffering is a deal that was struck between Satan and God back in chapter 1. It's not a result of Job's sin. When you look at the book holistically, you see God at work here, orchestrating some horrifyingly wondrous deal together through Job's suffering and for God's glory. Zophar should not be calling Job to repentance. Is Job a sinner in need of grace? Yes. I'm not saying that Job isn't a sinner. I'm saying that what Zophar is saying is the wrong thing at the wrong time. And he's saying it way too strongly. No one knows what God is up to. Zophar talks arrogantly enough to make you think he knows, but he's dead wrong. A theme Zophar tries to appeal to is hope. He says that if Job repents, there will be hope. Next week, Peter will speak to hope as Job sees it when he responds to Zophar. How does this apply to us? Let's move to application. At first, it seems like a, a funny text to apply to your life. Lord, what do you want me to take from Job 11? The great thing is, we can actually take stuff from this chapter and apply it to our lives. Number one, don't be like jo Zophar. Do not claim to know what God is doing by looking solely at someone's circumstances. Do not claim to know what God is doing by looking solely at someone's circumstances. I can't look at my friend in suffering with cancer, or a friend who just had a miscarriage, or a friend who is suffering with migraines, and claim to know what God is doing. What about you? Do you have something going on in life or in a life of a friend where you don't know what God's up to? Is it suffering? Is it sickness, disease, cancer, brain damage? How about psychological or emotional damage from a past experience? 
How about just enduring the heaviness and despair that life sometimes brings? What are you to do with that suffering? I want to say that it's okay not to have it all figured out. It's really okay. Especially in the midst of suffering. What you can say to yourself or your friend who's going through suffering is something like this. You know, I'm really sad that you're going through this. My heart goes out to you. I'm grieving with you. And I don't know what God's up to. But I know that he's good. And I know that we can trust him through this. Can we pray together and ask him for help? Something like that will go bounds farther than what Zophar says to Job. Zophar claimed suffering was a result of sin. Meanwhile, it was a result of a deal meant for God's glory. Let's not be like Zophar and make judgments based solely on circumstances. Secondly, do not arrogantly share partial truths with a friend in suffering. Do not arrogantly share partial truths with a friend in suffering. Going back to Bonnie, <clears throat> the wrong thing to say to her would be what Zophar says. Man, Bonnie, you're, you're suffering. But you know what? God's going easy on you. Don't say that. In a strict biblical sense, it's, it's true. Okay? Bonnie is a, a sinner. And, um, but that's not what you share with someone who's in the midst of suffering with cancer. Don't say that. Zophar says these harsh words to a man who just lost all his kids. Don't do that. Rather, obey what Paul says in Romans and weep with those who weep. Enter in with them. Third, be wary of easy advice from someone who claims to have it all figured out. Be wary of easy advice from someone who claims to have it all figured out. From Job's perspective, Zophar speaks boldly with partial truth. Yet we know he's not speaking accurately of the Lord. Job would be wise to filter what Zophar is saying and not just take it for truth. Finally, do not believe that suffering is always a punishment for sin. Do not believe that suffering is always a punishment for sin. Can God discipline us for our sin? Yeah. Surely the same God who calls us to discipline our children can discipline us for our sin. But, as Peter mentioned a couple sermons ago, there is a discipline for righteousness' sake, too. This is the discipline that Christ endured. Jesus was disciplined not for sin, but to be made the perfect sacrifice. Hebrews 5.9, Although He, Jesus, was a son, He learned obedience through what He suffered. 
And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So there is certainly a type of suffering that happens apart from sin. And I think Job's suffering falls into this category. Why might you not embrace these applications? Might you think that you can wisely interpret circumstances apart from God and His Word? Might you, in an effort to preserve your image as a wise counselor, just say something, share a partial truth pridefully? That'll keep your image going. Instead of just saying, yeah, you know what? I don't know what God's doing here. Might you, being in Job's shoes, try to find refuge in someone else's advice rather than refuge in the Lord and in His, in his promises? Might you doubt God is training you in righteousness like He trained Jesus? He's training you in righteousness. Why are are our hearts tempted in this way? It's because they're sinful and they're broken. We need to trust in the Lord instead of these things. Fight to cling to the truths of Jesus. Speaking of the gospel, let's go to the last point. As Dan Miller shared earlier in the series, Jesus Christ is the greater Job, right? He filled in where Job fell short. How are Jesus and Job similar? Both Jesus and Job are examined for sin in their lives. Zophar examines Job and claims there is sin there. Similarly, the high priests examine Jesus for sin in his life. And eventually they skip the call to repentance that Zophar gives and they kill him. Both Zophar and the high priest try to expose something that is not there. Zophar says Job must have sinned to bring about the suffering that he's experiencing. Meanwhile, he's blameless. The high priests say Jesus blasphemed. Meanwhile, he's perfect. So, there is examination going on in both accounts. Jesus and Job also have their differences. While Job may have been blameless, Jesus Christ was perfect. They're different. Job was a sinner. Christ was righteous. Zophar called Job to repentance. The high priests called Jesus to the cross. In closing, consider this. Zophar says this to Job. He says, Job, God sees your iniquity. For us, it's quite the opposite. Because of Jesus, instead of looking at us and saying, instead of God, instead of looking, let me start over. <laughs> because of Christ, God 
looks at us and, and, and instead of saying, I see your iniquity, he says, I see nothing. You're clean. You're righteous. With you, I am well pleased. And you know, there, there may be some areas of life where we don't know what God's up to. But there are some things we know. We know that if we trust in Jesus Christ, we are righteous in God's sight. Therein, my friends, we know exactly what God is up to. Let's pray.